My name's Brandon Staub. And I'm Brad O'Connell. Welcome to In Dispute Podcast, where we discuss hot-button issues in the Christian church. We're learning to listen to the Bible instead of our emotions, and we invite you to learn with us. Our hope is that these raw conversations would help lead us to truth and bring us closer to the mind and heart of God. Hello, everybody, and welcome to In Dispute Podcast. We're happy to have you here with us this week. Uh, this week's episode, we're going to be talking about uh, some maybe outlandish would be a right term, outlandish um, things. Um, can be quite controversial, too, I think, in some aspects. But we're going to be talking uh, an, in an overarching theme about being drunk in the Holy Spirit. And what does that mean? What does that look like? Um, how how would we define that? Uh, or how does the Bible define that? And then diving, once we kind of get that covered, um, we're going to dive a little deeper and get into some more specific uh, portions of that, more specific examples of that. And we're going to talk about slain in the Spirit. What does it mean to be slain in the Spirit? Um, and we're also going to talk about holy laughter, uh, both things that we see um, quite often in regards, uh, or primarily we see them, I would say, on your uh, the televangelistic uh, styles of churches, um, but quite popular in their crowds. And so we want to take a look at that. We want to find out, does the Bible talk about these things um, when we see these? Are they biblical? Is it something that we should pursue? Um, so we hope you enjoy this episode, and as always, at the end, uh, we'll invite you to uh, converse with us on social media. Yeah, So, and just uh, a shout-out to our friend Andy, who um, gave us the idea for this episode. Um, yes, yes. He, yeah, he, he said, hey, what's, what's, what about talking about being slain in the Spirit, and is it found in the Bible? It would be an interesting topic, so... Uh, Thanks, Andy, for the suggestion. I'm excited to talk about this. So do you want to take it from here, Brandon, and start off with drunk in the spirit and what that might look like? Yeah. Um, so or I think... Really where, where we find it, I guess, maybe even. Yeah. Um, I think, and I want to say this, that I think that the... the everything that we're going to cover in this episode probably falls under what most people would say is being drunk in the spirit. Um, basically, um, it's the idea that the Holy Spirit is going to overwhelm a person to the point that they, they're acting drunk, basically. Um, they have a hard time standing, a hard time speaking, um, functioning as a sober human being, basically, is the best way to, to put it, maybe. Um, and in the research that I've done with the, um, the pastors who primarily teach this kind of doctrine, say that they get this idea from Acts chapter 2. Um, which is when you see the um, the apostles, disciples gathered in the upper room, 
Um, this is after Jesus ascends, and he goes and tells them to wait for the Holy Spirit because he's going to come. And so they're all gathered in the upper room. And in um, Acts chapter 2, we see the Holy Spirit fall on the entire upper room. Everybody starts speaking in tongues. Um, and in this instance, the tongues that they're speaking in are tongues of other languages. So you have um, people who don't know how to speak uh, these specific languages starting to speak uh, these languages. Um, and they're, they're pro basically proclaiming the gospel in a language that they don't know. And what's happening is they're, 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 they're speaking loudly loud enough that the people out on the street are able to hear what's going on up in this room. There's this ruckus going on. Um, and it's confusing to the people outside. Um, so their, their only logical explanation is, well, they must be drunk. And so this is, um, this is where a lot of pastors will get this, this idea of drunk in the spirit is, from this passage where they're they're saying, well, people are looking at them and saying that they're drunk, so they must have been doing some pretty silly things in that upper room. Right. Um, so, so we're going to be doing some silly things here in our church services uh, because the 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 Bible shows us that that is what's going on. Um, that is the basic premise of uh, or idea that um, I've been able to find mm -hmm. in my research of where most pastors get this doctrine from. I think maybe even alongside that would um, possibly be in Ephesians 5.18, where um, Paul says, do not get drunk on wine. And then the second part of that sentence, it says, instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And so there's right. a comparison when it comes to what the world looks like and Paul's saying, hey, don't go get drunk on wine. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And so it's almost like a um, a trade-off here. Right. You're, you're either drunk on wine or you're drunk on the Spirit kind of thing. Yeah. Um, he uses the word filled with the Spirit instead of drunk. Mm -hmm. um, but because it's so closely connected to the first part of that sentence, I think a lot of people read that in the same way um, and kind of make that connection. Yeah, and that's actually going to be my be my closing argument. So thanks, Brad. <laughs> <laughs> no, but that is that is a good point. Um, and another another verse that people do definitely use is 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 that Ephesians verse there. Um, but we will get into that later a little deeper. All right. All right. <laughs> um, a lot of just a little bit of history. And I will name drop, um, but this this argument, especially the the holy laughter argument, of which we'll get into a little deeper later, was really founded by uh, a man named Rod uh, Rodney Howard Brown. Um, and basically, Actually, I'm going to cut this part out because I'm jumping ahead. Okay. So, okay. So, 
so yeah, this this argument most pastors will use in Acts chapter two as their um, excuse for um, acting this way um, during a church service. You know, we'll we'll see people falling out, um, um, laughing hysterically. Um, tongues definitely is one of those. We're not going to cover tongues because we we've covered tongues in another episode um, in our first season. So go check that out. Um, but some of the other things that that um, are happening just with this drunkenness is some some really weird stuff like uh, making sounds like farm animals, um, getting down on all fours and crawling around on the ground um, like like an like an animal uh, barking like dogs. Uh, there's just some really strange strange things that happen in, in some of these meetings. Um, and they all connect this back to um, this passage in Acts chapter 2 where everyone in the upper room is accused of being drunk. Um, but I think that we see Peter here put this theory to rest really quick. Um, just two verses after um, these people accuse them of being drunk. Um, Peter goes on to say um, that, that we aren't drunk up here. Um, he ended up preaching a message that 2,000, sorry, 3,000 people actually got saved. Um, now, I've never been drunk before but I've seen a lot of drunk people in my lifetime. And I, I can say, I don't know that any drunk person could speak uh, a message of the gospel and have 3000 people get saved on the spot. Mm. So uh, I really think that Peter blows this idea out of the water of, of any kind of like drunken behavior. It's really just, it was a strange and new move of God that no one had ever experienced or seen before. So the only logical explanation for the people that weren't experiencing it were they must be drunk. Mm -hmm. I think just, the, I mean, the context itself, I think, blows it out of the water as well. I mean, there's, there's nothing within the context of this or really many other passages when it comes to being filled with the Holy Spirit that would relay any kind of um idea that they were acting in any sort of drunken fashion you know we, we hear a lot of things about being empowered we, we see things about being filled with joy right but this the context of this is has everything to do with their language they are speaking they're jewish people speaking in tongues that they shouldn't be speaking in and so you have people that are kind of like, okay, how am I hearing my own language? And then you have other people that don't speak that language, and they're probably hearing literally gibberish, right? And so for the for anybody who has been drunk before, want, your fine motor skills go, your start, your speech starts to go, right? And so um, you're, you're, you start basically sounding weird with your tongue like it's twisted, right? You start not making sense when you speak. And so these people are saying that about being drunk on new wine in, in direct 
relation to their speech. It has nothing to do in this context with the way they're acting whatsoever. It's all with the tongue. It's all with the way they sound with their tongue. So mm-hmm. I think that that in itself, I think, is a really strong argument against it. Right. Um, just a, another note that I have here of some things that I've seen um, in church as far as being drunk in the spirit. And I've actually seen this with my own eyes, not just on TV, um, but people falling on the ground and shaking and convulsing violently. Um, I, I just don't see this happening anywhere in scripture uh, where convulsions and shaking are as a result of the power of God. Mm-hmm. Um, however, on the other end of the spectrum, we do see people shaking and convulsing under demonic possession. Um, in Mark chapter 1, verse 26, uh, it talks about an unclean spirit throwing a man into convulsions until Jesus came along and healed him. So the convulsions, the shaking, mm. was something that was happening under demonic possession. Jesus comes along, heals the man, and stops the convulsions, stops the shaking. Um, a similar event takes place in Mark chapter 9, verse 20, where a boy falls down, has convulsions. Um, Jesus comes along, heals him. Again, convulsion, shaking, uh, um, all because of a demonic possession. And Jesus comes along and the convulsions stop. So the result of the power of God hitting you is actually a a very peaceful thing. Mm -hmm. Um, You see a a person possessed by a demon who's just shaking violently, which is a great picture of the, the difference between the power of God and the power of the devil, in my opinion, is when you're possessed by the devil, it's it's violence. It's it's uncomfortable. It's it's not uh it's not a happy scene there. People were freaking out. Jesus comes along and puts his hand on the situation. You see the power of God overwhelm overwhelm a person, and you see peace and calm and uh, amazement from the crowd. Mm-hmm. Um, the power of God brings peace, not shaking and, convul- and convulsing. Right. Yeah, I, I mean, I totally agree with that. I think that is such a great um, argument. Just just the actions themselves do not come across as anything that we see anybody filled with the Holy Spirit really doing in, in Scripture at all. It's the Spirit of God brings totally different atmosphere. Um, than what we're seeing happen in some some of these churches. Um, not not to mention, uh, hopefully I'm not stealing this from you again. You have to smack my hand. But <laughs> Paul talks in First Corinthians about the um, the church service. Now he's talking about a little bit slightly different context here. Am I taking this from you? <laughs> go, go ahead. <laughs> um, 
And so when I, when I see these things, yeah, I, I get kind of confused, honestly, because I'm like, the, the Bible that you have in your hand right there talks about some sort of order to your service. And I think what Paul's talking about, he's talking about the gifts of the Spirit, obviously, but I, I can't see how you can hold that Bible and then do something that is so out of out of line, out of the ordinary, chaotic, um, disruptive. You know, we were we were both of us looking at some videos here just yesterday, I think it was the other day, and um, we're watching this this lap wrapping or whatever, slaying the spirit, and it it just looks so like the focus just isn't on Christ at all. It's just like people laughing at each other. I don't I don't see any how God is possibly glorified in this kind of thing that's going on. There's no praise and worship. It's just like you said, convulsing on the floor and laughing and just kind of just weird. It's just not, it's not, it's not at all how I'd picture being in the presence of the Lord would be if we look at any of the passages that explain what that would be like or what the new Jerusalem's going to be like. I just don't picture that. <laughs> yeah. And not to say that like there's not going to be any joy. Right. Yeah. But like, this is something that's completely it's on a different level it's it's not like i don't see joy um when you're watching these videos that, that you're mentioning and if anybody wants to see these videos we're talking about um just hit us up on social media i can send you links but it, it doesn't look joyful at all it just it's just really disturbing to be honest i, I it's, yeah. it's not something that I would want to partake in. Like as a Christian, I'm like, I don't want that spirit. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So let, let's move on to the actual slain in the spirit part of this. Um, I think we gave a good um, definition of of dr the drunk in the spirit thing as a whole. So. Um, let's get into something more specific like being slain in the spirit which um i've seen the definition in case anyone is listening and wondering what the heck we're talking about when we say slain in the spirit um <laughs> basically it's a, a temporary physical reaction to the power of the holy spirit um the way you usually would see it in a church um, or at least the way I always saw it in my church growing up is uh, everyone would would flock to the front to the altar. Pastor would go around, um, put his hand on your your top of your head or your forehead, say a prayer, and you would just fall back and you would be unconscious. Um, doesn't always happen like that. I mean, I've seen it happen where you, people aren't even physically touched by somebody and they just, they fall out. Um, I, I've seen people uh, actually like blow into somebody's face um, and they'll fall back. Um, I've seen like all... Swing their hand like they're throwing like a fireball yeah. of air at them or something like Yes. You know, or just wave their hand over the crowd. Wave their yes. Um, I've ushering in the the spirit over their heads or something. Yes, and even to the extremes of people punching or kicking people, mm -hmm. um, which is a whole other thing. But 
basically, <laughs> if you're being slain in the spirit, you're somehow in some way physically falling down on the ground unconscious. Mm-hmm. Or I can I kind of compare it to fainting. You're almost you're almost losing consciousness there for a yeah. few seconds. Right. You basically lose all function of your body and you just can't stand up. So you the only thing to do is fall down. Right. Um so the question was asked, um is being slain in the spirit but uh spirit biblical? So there, there are really a couple things that I think you could really use as a good argument that it is. Um, but they're very weak arguments, in my opinion. Um, the first one is, it, it seems like for everything that is of God, there is a counterfeit version that's demonic. Um, we definitely see demonic reactions that look similar to what being slain in the Holy Spirit looks like. Um, so everything that that God does, the devil will try to to copycat. Um, again, just kind of like we were talking about earlier with the the convulsions thing. Um, again, that's a weak argument, so I won't even really entertain that, but. The, the more usable argument is that there were a couple instances where God's manifested presence cr- caused a physical reaction. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of pastors will use um, Matthew chapter 28. And verse, um, verse four. So this is um, Mary Magdalene is coming to the tomb um, to visit Jesus' body, and discovers that the tomb is empty, and there was an angel that appeared. And it says in verse 3, the angel's appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were as white as snow. The guards that were um, at the tomb shook, paralyzed with fear at the sight of him, and became like dead men, pale and immobile. So here what we see is the presence. I mean, it doesn't say that it's God. It doesn't say it's Jesus. It says the presence of an angel. Um, but we'll, for argument's sake, we'll say that this is a, a godly presence. It appears here at the tomb, and this presence actually knocks these guards off their feet um, and into a, a pale, immobile state. Um, there's a passage in John 18, uh, 5 and 6. Um, this is where Jesus is getting arrested. Um, the guards are there to, to take him away and he identifies himself as I am. And at that moment, the, the guards, uh, were taken aback and just fell, um, fell to the ground. 
And there's even a verse in the Old Testament in First Kings where the presence of God just knocks people off their feet. Um, so we do see uh, there's a couple instances here in the Bible where we see what seems like the presence of God actually knocking people off their feet um, to the ground. I'll even add while we're while we're there, Second uh, Chronicles um chapter 5 verse 14 the house was filled with the cloud even the house of the lord so that the priest could not stand to minister the glory of the lord had filled the house um and then ezekiel 3 so i rose and went into the plain and behold the glory of the lord stood there like the glory which i saw by the river shabar and i fell on my face uh, ezekiel 43 Behold, the glory of the God of Israel came from the way of the east. His voice was like the sound of many waters, and the earth shone in his glory. It was like the appearance of the vision which I saw, the, like the vision which I saw when I came to destroy the city. The visions were like the vision which I saw by the river. I fell on my face. And then Numbers 22. And the Lord opened Balaam's eyes, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with his drawn sword in his hand, and he bowed his head and fell flat on his face. Um... I don't know what you were going to go into for that sense, but I, I just want to say, I guess in a rebuttal, that is in these instances, at least in the Old Testament specifically, like we have to keep in mind that their relationship with the Lord was totally different than what we have now, first of all. So one, a lot of this time, I think it was um, related to fear, really even in the New Testament, because the sacrifice hasn't been made yet. They don't understand the relationship that Jesus came to have. So I think some of it is fear. And then some of it is just, I think, a misunderstanding of the language. Like, for example, what I just read in Numbers 22, sword drawn his hand and he bowed his head and fell flat on his face. Like, that's a that's a form of worship. That is, yep. basically, they're saying fell flat on his face instead of saying laid prostrate. It was a sign of respect and reverence for the Lord. This was not... Um, an overwhelming like oh, i can't even bear to be conscious right now kind mm -hmm. of thing you know what i mean it was just, they were in they were revering the lord yeah a lot of the times yep yeah exactly um that was my count i have a counterpoint to that argument um and it, you hit it right on the head there is it it seems like most of the time, especially in the Old Testament, like you said, the reason they're falling on their face is it's a personal choice that they're making to fall on their face and worship. It's not a uh, like the power of God forcing them down under his power. Um, and in the instances in the New Testament where it does seem like it's involuntary and they are forced down under God's power. In every instance, it's an enemy of God that that is happening to. Um, like the guards at the tomb were knocked off their feet, but if it was because of the power of God being present, then why, why wasn't Mary knocked down as well? And, you know, when the guards are coming to arrest him and, and uh, you know, he identifies himself and the, and the power of God knocks the guards off their feet, you still have all the disciples standing around 
um, they, they were not affected by it, you know. So in the in the New Testament, it, it seems like every instance is an enemy of God that is knocked off their feet. And the Old Testament, it's a personal choice that, like, I'm in the presence of God and I'm going to hit my knees and worship. I'm going to get down on my face um, and, and worship. And, and um, that's, it's, it wasn't an involuntary, like, spirit knocking them off their feet. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I, yeah, like I said, these arguments are super weak, in, in my opinion. Um, the only other argument for this is that, I mean, all through the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation... We see God manifesting his power in all sorts of different ways. Um, whether, you know, he's it's through a burning bush or a pillar of a cloud or a pillar of fire or parting the Red Sea. Mm-hmm. Um, and God even will say things like, I'm going to show you a miracle that you've never seen before. Just watch. Um, so... I think God is all about showing his presence in different ways. And I think that that is still relevant now. I think God shows up in different ways even today. Mm -hmm. Um, So with that being said, I don't think that we can discount the, um, the idea that God in his power could knock somebody off their feet. Mm -hmm. You know, if he can part a red sea, an entire Red Sea, he certainly has um, the power enough to knock me off my feet. Mm-hmm. Um, I also, I mean, I'd also say we don't want to discount the experience that people are having either in the sense that like, so like I, I, I personally don't believe that this is biblical. I don't personally believe that this stuff is in most cases actually happening from a spiritual standpoint, like this kind of thing. But that doesn't mean that the people that are experiencing it aren't actually having some sort of experience that feels real to them. So I, I want to be very careful and, and kind of gracious when it comes to that. Like right. what they're experiencing is probably very real to them. Um, but I think there's something behind the surface as far as what's happening and how it's happening and why it's happening. Yep. Yeah. And just to get into to some things that I think prove that it's it's not biblical is, I mean, simply there are no scriptures that support being slain in the spirit. There's not a single verse in the Bible that talks about it or even really um, describes it happening um, the way we would describe it happening um, in our churches or how we see it. Um, again, like we said, the only real sign of someone falling back under the actual power of God seems to be only when they're an enemy of God, someone coming against, um, God himself. Um, there have actually been people, um, injured in churches who have been slain in the spirit, like lawsuits 
lawsuits have been brought against churches for people injured who were slain in the spirit. If I mean, let's let's get logical here. If if God is going to, under His power, knock you off your feet, is He going to injure you on the the impact um, hitting the floor on the way down? <laughs> I don't think so. Um. So yeah, I mean, people getting hurt when this happens, uh, and uh, you mentioned this earlier. Um, being slain in the spirit causes disorder in the church service as well as confusion, uh, which is a very contradicting to first Corinthians chapter 14, which you were talking about earlier. And I can, I can say that as a kid, I grew up in a church where this happened most Sundays Mm. and it 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 was very confusing and very scary for me as a little kid because nobody explained to me what was happening i thought my first thought as a kid as a 6 7 year old kid is that people were dying like i literally was scared to go up front to be prayed for because i thought if the pastor laid his hands on me that it was going to literally kill me mm. Because I would look up and I would see people falling over. And uh, the Bible says that God is not a God of, he's not the God of confusion. Like Satan is a father of confusion. So anything that's going on, I believe, in our churches that's going to be causing that kind of confusion in a person, I just don't believe is the Holy Spirit. Um, And Self-control is one of the fruits of the Spirit. Um, we're told to be sober-minded in 1 Peter 4.7. So, I mean, the whole thing about being slain in the Spirit is that you literally lose control of your body. Um, that would be very contradictory of the Holy Spirit um, to tell us to be um, self-controlled and then hit us in a way that we lose our self-control. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I, yeah, those are just I think a couple of things. To, I think it has a lot to do in a lot of times. I think it has a lot to do with like the this group or herd mentality in a sense, like really all take the baptism of the Holy spirit, for example, when speaking in tongues and stuff like that, like there's a lot, a lot of stories out there of people who wanted to experience it so badly and didn't want to be the only person that didn't. So they faked it. Yep. And, um, for this kind of stuff, all it takes is one, one or two leaders that, Maybe they really do believe this is biblical. Maybe they really do believe they've experienced something like this um, or, you know, something like that. And then all it takes is them explaining that to one or two more leaders. And then you get people believing it. And next thing you know, you're doing it at your church services. And people are kind of just doing it because they think that's what's supposed to happen. He touches me. I'm supposed to faint, you know. And I I think the brain works that way. I think the psyche gets built up that way so that you actually do 
probably experience in some of these cases an actual feeling of feeling faint or lightheaded or kind of heavy almost you know what i mean like so i don't want to say that those things aren't happening at all but i think that they are brought on by um by the teaching i don't think it's actually the holy spirit coming in and actually doing that to us yeah church church peer pressure is a real thing i experienced it going through youth um i was in a youth group where um our pastor our youth pastor basically made us participate or else would kick us out of our youth group like if you're not singing and you're not raising your hands during worship we're going to ask you to leave um if you're not during worship if you don't flock to the front and wave your hands and jump up and down in excitement then you must not really be serious about your faith um so i didn't want to get kicked out of my youth group and i wanted to be able to hang out with my friends uh just like i think any person that age wants like goes to youth group for um so i would rush the altar on sunday morning with the rest of the youth group and i would hop up and down and I would wave my hands in the air and I would do what I needed to do to make sure I looked like everybody else um, so that I could fit in. Like this is church peer pressure. And I, I don't believe that my situation was um, a rare case. I think it's uh, pretty widespread. And I mean, that was... A long time ago but i can't imagine that it, it really has changed much i don't really think church has changed that much in in uh 20 years 15 years um so i think that the this this slain in the spirit thing a lot of times is a, a peer pressure thing it's you know if you want to look like you're holy and you've got it all together mm-hmm. then you you better fall down like the rest of those people um and again like you said we don't want to discount anybody's experience because it probably was very very real um but we also as human beings i think we we got ourselves so worked up over stuff like this that we almost self-induce our own fainting yeah yeah i mean blood pressure i mean at the end of the service in a in a service like this your blood pressure goes way up and you get the shakes just because you're nervous and then on top of that you put a man in front of you that is supposed to be super holy and he puts his hands on you um you're probably going to go down just under the stress of your own anxiety. Um, and that's another thing is that this, this sort of um, practice really brings glory to man and not so much glory to, to God. Um, you know, when, when you know a, a certain pastor or evangelist is coming to town, 
you flock like thousands of people will just pack into a church because they know this guy has got some kind of like special touch. Um, and it's really focused on the, it's on the man. Like I need to get up there so that he can touch me so I can, I can be healed or I can get slain in the spirit or I can speak in tongues. Um, it really does bring a lot of glory to, to man and not so much glory to God. Mm -hmm. um, so my conclusion on the slain in the spirit thing is I 100% believe that God can move any way he wants. We can't put God in a box. Can't tell God, can't tell God you can move this way, but you can't move that way. Um, God has the power and the ability and the freedom to move in any way that he sees fit. Um, and I have seen with my own eyes, um, God touch a person and they, they fall back. And I believe with all of my heart that it was God touching that person. Um, because it was a person that didn't even believe that that kind of thing could happen. And I believe in that moment, God revealed himself to that person through being slain in the spirit. Because that was one of the things that this person believed God couldn't do. So God revealed himself in that way to one person. Not to, you know, when 50 people, 100 people start falling over then I get a little skeptical. Um, but when it's like a personal thing, just between that person and God, then like that is 100% real. And I don't um, discount that one bit. I don't know if you want to add anything before we move on. No, I think that's pretty much all I got there. Okay. Um, so the last thing that I want to talk about, we, we want to talk about here is holy laughter. And um, basically what's happening here is when someone is just so overwhelmed by the Holy Spirit that they cause, it causes them to have just hysterical, uncontrolled laughter right. um, that will start usually with one person and then spread throughout the entire congregation. Um, this was um, founded, well, not founded. Uh, this, uh, this practice was started by um, a man named Ronald Howard Brown. Um, or he's the one, I should say, who made it popular, um, mainstream, um, people would come for from thousands of miles away to experience this, um, this holy laughter movement. So basically what happened is, uh, Ronald Howard Brown, he was about eight years old, um, was praying to experience God in a deeper way. And he told God that if God wouldn't come down and touch him, that he was going to go up and touch God. And in that moment, his body went numb and he felt like he was on fire and be, he began to laugh, uncontrollably laugh. Um, and this personal experience that he had with God um, 
his personal experience, he then carried into his ministry and to other ministries and revival events, um, most notably the the Toronto outpouring in 1994 um, is where this really became popular and exploded um, into like a mainstream, uh, like common thing. Um, I mean, later on after after this came out, after he kind of exposed the world to this, other people came out um, and said that they had also experienced the same thing earlier. Um, this, this uncontrolled laughter at some point in their lives. Um, but this uh, Ronald Howard Brown was really the the one who who started it all. Um, and, I, and again, just like the being slain in the spirit, thing i don't doubt that the holy spirit can move through a person and fill them with with a joy that could cause somebody to laugh uncontrollably mm-hmm. um and and i believe the uh what ronald powered brown will say a lot of times is that the laughter that comes from him is just like how just thinking about how insane how ridiculous it is that Jesus would forgive a person like him. Like when he thinks about it, it just makes him laugh. Like, because who, what kind of God could love a person like this? Mm, yeah. Which is a cool, like, I get it. I like, I completely understand that logic. And like, there are times where I look back and on my life or even like something stupid that I do on a daily basis. And it just makes me chuckle to think like, how much does God love me that he is going to forgive me for this? Like, and for everything that I've ever done. So like, I totally a hundred percent on board with this idea. Right. Um, but the thing is, no, go ahead. I was going to say there's just such a difference though, between the joy that we see talked about in scripture and, and the joy that, you know, this pastor was explaining in his childhood, even um, that supernatural kind of thing. Like, first of all, it's personal. You, you know, you, that's just personal testimony. And second of all, like, there there is a difference between deeply seated joy in the Lord that, of course, would make you overflow in that in, in some capacity, and what we're kind of talking about as far as the movement goes. I mean, I don't even know how to explain some of these things. Like you almost have to just go to YouTube and type in this kind of stuff in the search and just watch what pops up. It it is so it's, it's almost outrageous. I mean, it's totally on a different level than just being filled with joy and and overflowing in laughter. Like that's not, that's not, it's not even bringing it justice to say that. Like, it's just not, that's not what we're even talking about in, in a sense. You know what I mean? Like, so, I don't know, I just want to add that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, like, I'm, I may, I'm making it sound like the holy laughter thing is this great thing. But I wanted to just, I wanted to give a back of the background to, to show, like, to explain to everybody that, like, this was, what this guy experienced, he experienced in a private moment by himself, just between him and God. But then what? I mean, that sounds awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And and it is like what I'm saying is I hope that 
our listeners experience that very thing like he did in that private moment with God um, in the privacy of your, your, you know, your prayer closet, your, your whatever. But what I feel like he did is he took that, that experience and maybe he had good intentions, but he, he capitalized on that experience and thought, I want, I want to bring this to a larger scale. Mm-hmm. And you can't force you can't force a move of God. Um, and I mean, in the years to come after all of this came out, I mean, a lot of the churches that that did this fell apart. Unfortunately, a fam like families fell apart. Pastors that were doing this just crumbled. Um, and there was no fruit that came from it. Like, so it was just this spectacle um, that made a lot of pastors a lot of money, basically. So what happened is he took this great, this awesome personal experience with God and he exploited it. And he, um, along with other people, perverted it. Mm-hmm. And now um, the after effects are still with us is when we still see people um we still see this happening in churches today as a result of of this this weird movement back in 94 um that started with this this guy um and i just i want to go back to you know, First Peter five eight says that we should be sober minded and sensible. Um, I mean, when you watch these these videos, there's nothing sober minded or sensible about it. Um, and I think I mentioned this earlier. It, it actually almost uncomfortable to watch. Yeah. Um, um, and maybe. Maybe I'm just being like dramatic, but and and doing some of this research, I, I was watching some of these videos for like two or three hours um, last night, and uh, my wife came home and she saw some of what was happening. Um, not only made her uncomfortable, but we both went to bed last night, and both of us just had terrible dreams all night. I don't. I don't. Maybe it wasn't a result of those videos, but I don't typically have terrible, weird dreams. So, like something about what I witnessed and watched on those videos just didn't sit well in my soul, in my spirit, in my mind. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it's just I I can't I can't say that anything about about it is biblical. Um. You had mentioned Ephesians 5.18 earlier. Mm -hmm. And it says, uh, do not get drunk with wine, for that is wickedness, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, Notice that it doesn't say get drunk with the Holy Spirit. It, It, instead of getting drunk with wine, 
it, it says fill up on the Holy Spirit. Like the I looked up the the uh, Greek, the original Greek and Hebrew languages there, and there's in no way any um, like similarities between what he's saying, like. He's not saying, don't get drunk on wine and act stupid. Instead, get drunk with the Holy Spirit and act stupid. Yeah, exactly. He He's saying, don't get drunk on wine. Instead, instead of getting drunk and acting stupid, why don't you fill up with the Holy Spirit? And like Peter says, be sober-minded and sensible. Mm-hmm. Like they're in no way connected with each other. It's not... Um, Paul's not giving an, an alternative high there. He's giving an alternative lifestyle. Exactly. Yes. Um, yeah, there, there's no permission here for us to go into our church services and act like lunatics. Um, and then suck the entire congregation into it and then label this as a move of the Holy Spirit. Like people were saying, the Holy Spirit is making us involuntarily act like farm animals. That's, in my opinion, blasphemous. <laughs> um, again, like like with the the slaying of the spirit. Like I want to just keep reiterating this because we don't want to take anybody's experience away from them because it could have been a legit move of the Holy Spirit. So we're not saying that you can't be overcome by the Holy Spirit with so much joy that you burst into laughter. Um, What I am saying is that I don't believe that the Holy Spirit is going to do this in the middle of a church service to the point that it's going to disrupt what's going on in other people's lives and other people's hearts, Um, that it's going to shut down an entire service um, so that everybody else can then participate in uncontrollable laughter and stupidity. Um, it's just, it's just not, not going to happen. Um, yeah. Um, I really don't have that much more to say other other than just when you're when you're in a service like this if you ever are and and stuff like this is happening um take it with a grain of salt um ask god for wisdom and discernment for sure discernment on what is happening around you um because just because we're in a church, we're in a house of God filled with um, teachers and preachers and people proclaiming that the Holy Spirit is on the move, uh, doesn't mean that the devil can't infiltrate and cause some major confusion. Um, one of our favorite pastors... Um, Correct me if I get this quote wrong, Brad, but I believe he said the devil knew he couldn't beat the church, so he joined it. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, so uh, 
I believe the devil is running rampant within our own churches, in our church services, and causing mass confusion with with uh, stuff just like this. Um, this is why we need to be firmly rooted in, in Jesus so that we know without a shadow of a doubt when we see this kind of stuff, um, if it is of God or if it's not. Um, if a good fruit comes from it or not. Mm-hmm. Um, this is ju- this is the kind of thing that the Bible warns us about, that in the end times, stuff like this is going to happen. There's going to be deceivers that are going to come into our churches, and they're going to look and sound very much like Jesus himself. Um but it really has nothing to do with Jesus at all. Uh, I feel like I could probably keep going on and on about this, Brad. So uh, I got I get really passionate about this stuff because I just think a lot of people are, de- are being deceived and made to believe that, that God is moving in, in ways that he's really not. And... Um, I just want to make sure, you know, people people know what to look for. People are just not accepting everything that they see in front of their face, even if it's happening in a church. Right. I'd say the last thing that I have to say to close on my end is kind of the flip side of that coin is I'm pretty passionately disagree with a lot of this stuff in the sense that like I don't think it's biblical but I also don't want that opinion or that understanding of scripture to hinder listeners from pursuing every ounce of joy that the spirit has to give them um, don't don't hear these stories and be afraid of <laughs> what's out there don't don't hear these stories and be afraid of chasing the Holy Spirit um, and go you know we don't we don't want you to go the opposite direction right uh, because you're afraid of crossing a line and looking kind of crazy or something like that. Seek God with wisdom. Seek God with an open heart. Truly desire him. Um, you know, and desire every ounce of joy that he has to offer. And I believe he'll give it to you. So. Yep. Okay. That's all, well, that's all I got. Um, and again, you know, this is, this is uh, another pretty heavy topic. So, you know, we want to open this up for discussion. If anybody who listens to this has questions or comments or, or disagrees and wants to tell us about it, um, reach out because we are open to all of that. And we don't um, claim to have all the answers and we don't claim to um, get everything right 100% of the time. Right. Um we we're open to being corrected. So um, let us know what you think. Andy, tell us what you think when you hear this. <laughs> yes. Thanks Andy for the idea. Um, and and uh, until next time we will, um, we'll see you then. Thanks for listening to in dispute podcast. We hope today's conversation has stirred you to seek biblical truth. If you'd like to contact us with questions, comments, or suggest topics, you can find us on Twitter at Dispute Podcast. 
and on Facebook at facebook.com slash indisputepodcast. Tune in next week for another topic in dispute.